הרי אני מקשר עצמי לכל הצדיקים האמיתים של דורנו, לכל הצדיקים האמיתים שוכני עפר, קדוש אמא שבארץ המה. הוא בבחירה לרבנו הקדוש צדיק יסוד עולם נחל נובע מכוח חוכמה, רבנו נחל מפגה. נע נח נח נחמן מאומן זכותם תגן עלינו וכל ישראל אמן. בעזרת השם, let's start with תורה קמ"ד, going all the way up to תורה 148. We're going to do that one as well. בעזרת השם. לשון רבנו Well, the Midrash, um, that a person does not die with half his desires in his hand. See what Rabbeinu has to say about this. With regard to the tzaddik, there's absolutely no difference between life and death. Because even after he dies, he's still serving God. The only difference between life and death is for someone who's still attached to his desires of eating and drinking all his days and all the other desires. So after he passes away, there's no eating or drinking. So this is called being dead. And in his case, death is recognizable because he's not doing the same thing that he was doing before. Whereas the tzaddik, he doesn't even have desires for eating or drinking. So, for him, it's the same thing in this world and the next. There are days which the Torah allows us to eat or drink. Half for Hashem, half for you. But with regard to the tzaddik, meaning with regard, when the Gemara says that, um, it's a reference that the idea of the Chagim, when we celebrate the Chagim, especially Pesach, the three, uh, the three holidays, that we have a, a big Avodah's eating. So why? Because half the day we serve God, half the day we eat. And eat with regard to the Tzadik, even with that half of the desire, which is supposed to be for us, which was given to us, he conquers it. He conquers his evil inclination and he holds the tava in his hand. Meaning he controls it completely. And this is what it says, that half of the desire is in his hand. Meaning what half? Even the half which is permissible to him. Even with regard to this, he holds it in his hand. It's certain that this person doesn't die. Rather he's constantly alive. Even after death. And there's absolutely no difference um, between death and uh, life because he's constantly serving God. Uh, it's funny, I was, I was reading this lesson at the end of the last, uh, at the end of the um, <clears throat> last, uh, last class in Torah 143, we spoke about the idea that tzaddikim, even when they're dead, they're alive. So, Baruch um, Hashem, uh, I didn't even read the next lesson. It's Mamash Hashkacha Pratit. But we see here how Hashem Mamash organizes things in the most awesome ways. Torah Kuf Mem En Adam Med Vachatita Bato Beado Vechule. Rabbeinu is going to bring the same uh, Midrash that we just brought. Except this time, he's going to explain in a different manner, the same verse. So a man does not die with half his desires in his hand. So Rabbeinu tells us, This represents strife, argument. Just like the Targum, like Unkirus explains in Sefer Bereshit, They attacked him 
who would attack them, masters of chitim, masters of arrows. Um, they attacked him. Who attacked him? The masters of arrows. It says over there in the verse. And what is Baale Chitim, masters of arrows? Unkirus translates this into Aramaic as Baale Parguta, masters of strife. So you see arrows is strife. And arrows has the word Chitim. We're going to see how this plays into the verse. So therefore one who restrains his desire for argument, for strife. It's certain as if he's not dead. Just like David requested, may I dwell in your tent forever. He asked Hashem, may he dwell in his tent even when he passed away, meaning that he's considered alive all the time. So it, on this um, on this idea of David Amelach, the Gemara asks, may I dwell in your tent forever. So the Gemara asks, is it possible for a person to to live in both worlds? Ella, rather, what was David really requesting? He wanted others to quote him in matters of halacha, in matters of um, Jewish law. And then it's as if he's not dead. But with regard to strife and machloket, we find that they didn't repeat the halacha in their name. As in, acherim. Which basically means, Ben was telling us that when it comes to machloket in the Gemara, when it comes to a strife in the Gemara, when there's two arguments between people, for example, when it says acherim, there are others who say this, there's this one who says this, when there's this opinion, this, they don't repeat the halacha in their name. When there's argument, um, we find that they, don't, they didn't repeat the halakha in their name. The idea over here, in uh, as we see, look over there, Rabbeinu um, brings us to the Gemara Horayot, and you give me over there it speaks about this idea. So basically that the that the Gemara is telling us, um, or the Gemara doesn't bring up the names itself, instead the law is credited anonymously basically, in the language of Acherim or Yeshomim. We see that the names aren't mentioned there. The testimony of God is trustworthy. Okay, etc. It's brought there over there in Tehidim chapter 19. There's a question here. Rabbanu asked an awesome question. In the verse in Tehidim, David Menach writes that the testimony of Hashem is trustworthy. What testimony is he talking about? The Torah. But Rabbanu has a question on this. How is the Torah, which is called a woman, how do we know this? Brought down in multiple cases. Um, multiple different sources brought down this idea. I I believe in Kiddushin, maybe. In the Maharsha over there, Kiddushin Bet Amut Bet. Over there, this idea that the Gemara or the Torah is called in the aspect of a woman. Um, yeah, so Rabbeinu asks if the Torah is called a woman, as we see in multiple cases, how can it give testimony? Meaning, we know a woman is disqualified from testimony, she can't be an ed, she can't be a witness. Isn't a woman disqualified from testimony? From testimony? The answer is like this, meaning the Torah 
is an aspect of Achimat Pati, enlightening the foolish. With regard to this, she's able to testify. In the Halachot of Testimony, the sages of old instituted that in a place where men are not um, um, commonly found, women are trusted. So Rabbi Hanun is explaining the sod behind this. Why it said over there, why Rabbi Yosef Karao writes this in uh, Shulchan Aruch. And this is known, that the fulfilling of one's desires are always done in secret. And it says, Stolen waters are sweet. Meaning that when you steal the waters, when nobody knows that you stole them, they are sweet, meaning that they're pleasurable. They're pleasurable. And although men are not uh, common over there, but the Torah is over there in secret. And calls to this person, Whoever is foolish, let him turn here. But because of a man's passion, meaning he steals something, he steals a desire, etc. And it's in secret, etc. The Torah stands there, but he's not listening to the Torah. He can't hear the Torah's call. But after immediately fulfilling his desire, his pleasure, he feels immediately the Torah's call and he begins to regret over the sin. And this regret is an aspect, aspect of bringing enlightenment to the foolish. Because at the time of sinning, a man is filled with the spirit of foolishness, meaning he's not filled with intelligent so afterwards only after the sin is, does he pay attention to the words of the Torah because within the sin if you're paying attention to the words of the Torah he would never sin in the first place so after the sin he feels the words of the, he sees the words of the Torah he hears it and he becomes wise and he regrets it's for this reason the Torah even though it's a woman it's able to give testimony because it's standing in the place where men are not um, uh, commonly found there, meaning in those places which are secret, which other people aren't there, meaning when a person goes fills a desire, not other people are there. He's embarrassed to do the desire in front of other people, so he hides. But it's over there, the Torah, which in that case is in Shulchan Aruch, that's what it's, Rabbeinu is telling us, the sod of Shulchan Aruch over there. That what it's really referencing in this idea that the Torah, which is considered a woman, gives edut in a place where men are not found, meaning in a place where a man is hiding in secret, filling his pleasures. Over there, the Torah is rebuking a person, telling him to wake up. And only after the sin um, does he wake up from that call of the woman, which is the Torah. From lesson 144 up until here, these are all the, the direct manuscripts, uh, from the direct manuscripts of Rabbeinu. That's an awesome lesson we just did about Hashem. Okay, Torah Kuvim Zayn. Kshem Shemishahu Azud Panim Eno Chelek Batorah. Just as one who's brazen faced, who's bold, who's arrogant, does not have a portion in the Torah. Kemoshamur Batanuzan as Chachamim say, Dabar Tzibale Elevdor. That the word he commanded, it's in, in the verse. Um, it says in the verse, uh, I believe. Um, 
he brings over there in the verse. I'm not sure, by the way, over there when I spoke about the idea of um, the Torah being called a woman, I might have brought the wrong sources over there. So um, I'm not sure where it's brought, this idea. <clears throat> but Rabbeinu brings the sources. It's all here mixed up at the bottom. So I don't necessarily, um, I can't tell which one apart. But nonetheless, it said, The word he commanded, for a thousand generations, meaning that Hashem requested to give the Torah after 1,000 generations. Hashem wanted to give the Torah after 1,000 generations. As we see from the verse in uh, Tehilim, as brought down in the Gemara Chagiga, the, the Gemara Chagiga is explaining on this verse in Tehilim that Hashem wanted to give the Torah 1,000 generations after the world was created. He saw that the world could not exist, but he gave it after. So he gave it after 26 generations. Moshe was 26 generations after Adam. The Amadush Talan. And God rose up and he implanted them in each and every generation. And who, what did he implant in each and every generation? Well, who's he, what is he referencing over there? That God planted these brazen faced people in every single generation. We find we see that actually these brazen faced people are actually aren't included in the giving of the Torah. Because they are from the 974 generations which were not worthy of receiving the Torah. Meaning Hashem gave it on the 26th generation. But He wanted to give it after a thousand. And uh, those 974 generations after um, didn't, uh, what do you call it? It wasn't after a thousand generations that God gave it. He gave it after the 26th. So the last 974 didn't have the merit to actually receive the Torah in their generation. But um, what did it say? That Hashem implanted them in each and every generation in the generations of those 974. They are the 974 generations. So the Torah could not be given during their 974 generations because Hashem implanted those brazen-faced people within each of those generations. But in the 26th generation, no. They weren't brazen-faced. We're going to see what. And the Chachamim say in the Gemara Nedarim, one who has boldness, it's certain, it's known that his forefathers did not put their feet on Har Sinai, meaning that their forefathers did not, weren't at the Torah giving. We find we see that brazen faced people don't have a portion in the Torah because their forefathers were never at the giving of the Torah, which means they too don't come from the Torah. The same is true. One who's Completely lowly and abject. And he has no holy arrogance. We're going to see holy boldness. He too has no portion in the Torah. Why was the Torah given to Israel? Because they are bold. Because tells us we need to have holy boldness. Be bold as a leopard. Which boldness are they talking about there? Holy one. And through the holy boldness which he has, he receives the holy boldness of God. And this is an aspect of what is brought in the word in the verse in Tehillim. Give strength to God. El Israel, the God of Israel. 
He will give strength and might to his nation. Meaning, what does it mean to give strength to God? Give might to God. This is the aspect of the, the awakening down from below. Meaning what? When we do something good. Because the fact that we possess holy boldness, which helps us withstand all those people who try to, to stand up against us, to prevent us from serving Hashem, God forbid. And we reinforce ourselves with great boldness against them. This is what we call holy boldness. Rabbi was talking about whenever the Yetzirah is trying to attack you. Holy boldness is that strength that you need to fight the Yetzirah. So it's as if we are giving, as if to say, strength and um, power up above. In the aspect of what is it brought in the verse, give strength to God. Meaning, how do we do that when we have holy boldness? And Oz is Azut. And through this, we awaken up above the aspect of holy boldness. Then it's brought down upon us and given to us as a gift, as shefa, as abundant. It says in the verse, The God of Israel, He gives us strength and might to His nation. That God is um, bestowing upon us this holy boldness and He gives us strength and might to withstand the forces of the evil side, the boldness of the evil side, of all those brazen-faced people of the generation. Because it's impossible to stand against them, to fight against them without holy boldness. Because when a person has no holy boldness, it's certain that all those people who are obstructing his way from his Torah and his service will be completely nullified. Because a man has no portion of the Torah when he has no holy boldness, as we saw above. And a person must measure his ways, how to behave with his boldness. So that, God forbid, he doesn't fall into the aspect of brazen faced Because it's an extremely evil trait. But nonetheless, a person should have holy boldness. And the aspect of humility, the trait of humility is an entirely different subject. Entirely different. And what's the essential trait of humility, Rabbeinu tells us? When you're at a level, when you're able to write about yourself as Moshe Rabbeinu did, Upon him be peace and sin, Bamidbar, Moshe wrote about himself, that Moshe, the man, was extremely humble. Meaning, Moshe was so humble, he was able to write it about himself and still not feel any pride. This is the highest level of humility. As we see with the Talmudic sages, that Rav Yosef said, Don't say that Anava no longer exists. Don't say that humility no longer exists. Um, because I'm still here. This is referencing Rabbi Yudanasi. As Rabbi Yudanasi passed away, the Masota says that fear, uh, fear of sin and humility cease to exist. Rabbi Yosef came out and said, don't say humility ceases to exist for I'm still here. Which means simply, if we think that is prideful, because Rabbi Yosef is saying, don't say that humility doesn't exist because I'm still here. We think that's on the surface level prideful, but Rabbi was telling us we have no idea what pride means. 
Fala Torah, Torah, Kuf, Memchet, Midata Yirah, Be'atman, Yirah, Be'ashem, Mitzbach. The quality or the trait of fear in itself has fear of God. Fears from Hashem. Yirah fears from Hashem. Fear actually fears from God. And in that case, Yishal Gam Ken Yirah. Then that quality of fear also has fear. And then that quality of fear, which is above the first one, fears from God. And if so, then that fear, which fears from God, which is above the first fear, then it also has another fear. So there's fear above fear above fear. So and so, one fear is encompassed higher and higher in another. Until literally, it goes all the way until the infinite one himself. It's infinite. That which humility made a heel for her sandal, wisdom made a crown for her head. So humility made a heel for the sandal. It put a, a heel on its shoe. And wisdom made a crown for its head. It says, Why didn't humility make a, a heel for the sandal? It says, the, the end product of humility is the fear of God. So fear is both the end and the beginning. We see here, and we see that the beginning of wisdom is fear. So we see that Yir'ah is the beginning of wisdom, and Yir'ah is also the end, the, the, the heel. So we see that the crown of wisdom is actually fear, and we see that the heel for the shoe is also fear. <laughs> that it's the end and the beginning. We see that the heel of uh, the sandal of the shoe, the heel of humility is fear, and the beginning of all wisdom is also fear. So we see that there's fear above fear, the different types of fear. Because the fear, the quality of fear itself also has fear. And the same is true of the each and every level of fear also has fear until literally it goes infinitely. May we attain these uh, aspects of fear. Um, now I understand what it says in the Zohar when it says that there's fear and there's fear. Rabbeinu tells us over there that he attained the level of fear um, that is extremely lofty that he understands that there's different levels and levels and levels and levels and he's seeing all of them. But that Hashem may we merit to go from fear to fear and uh, truly serve Hashem permit.